Chapter Eight of My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eight. You are so good and dear," repeated Julian Clancy for the second time in his well-bred drawling voice, detaining my hand for an instant in the obscurity of his tapestry-hung hall. Mother, who always remembers she has an appointment in Hampstead or West Kensington, just when one is beginning to enjoy oneself, was already at the bottom of the garden path. Mr. Julian Clancy slowly raised the hand he held to his lips. He was perfectly aware that this last century salute was considered irresistible by his women friends. He was a charming host. All the guests at Mr. Clancy's parties seemed on easy terms. The men called each other by their Christian names the ladies had quaint little nicknames for their friends an atmosphere of intimate chat hung about the rooms the women spoke in cooing tones and had interminable confidences to make while the men laughed softly as they leant forward to listen with an amused air in the veiled lamplight it was distinctly a house where one enjoyed oneself julian clancy would ask a dozen people most of them well known and you would find them, when you arrived, chatting with soft, intimate voices in obscure corners, or loitering as they whispered the latest malicious story in the draped doorways. Not that Julian Clancy himself ever listened to malicious stories. Though he wrote novels of modern society, lived all the year round in London, and was now over forty years of age, it was astonishing how guileless, how optimistic he remained. His vague face and worn smile suggested only the most indefinite emotions, and yet the warmth of his language was extraordinary. Every one he knew was a dear or a dear person, while the more favoured ones were so perfectly good and sweet. Mr. Clancy would not listen to a word against anyone. How could people be so horrid as to say that his dear lady Rougemont's beautiful red hair was dyed, or that his charming Charlie Deuce Ace was not the most exemplary of husbands? people were so unkind well off and well connected he mixed in the best as well as the rapidest sets in london but what he really worshipped was the celebrity it is an error to suppose that all the leo hunters are of the feminine sex julian clancy always had the last celebrity and failing that the last notoriety at his parties in st john's wood he adored st john's wood celebrated artists actors dramatists were all to be found within a stone's throw of his door he could run in and out of famous studios and catch distinguished actors for his little suppers on their way home from the theatres he tolerated a countess if she happened to be amusing but a new dancing girl set him raving he used to ask great ladies to meet the most extraordinary people and somehow or other they always came his sunday dinners of eight were most amusing one never knew if one would sit next to a guardsman a burlesque actor or the representative of a foreign power he knew everybody and everybody wanted to know him the honourable julian clancy second son of lord basingstoke had a position in society which is not often the lot of younger sons but then to be sure his brother had no children and was already separated from his wife in all human probability julian would one day succeed to the earldom and yet he for his part was chiefly preoccupied with literary fame every other year or so he published at his own expense a rather second-rate novel which however had one merit 
it was usually in one volume with fat print and wide margins so that when he presented it to his friends with charming little enthusiastic phrases written on the first page they were able to get a good idea what it was about without being at the pains to read it about the time his book appeared he usually gave one of his pleasantest parties where one saw him with one arm round the neck of some young man who wrote reviews for the penny papers in former days when he was younger and less gushing mr julian clancy had been in the diplomatic service and had wandered in many lands he never wandered now as a matter of fact he never left london every year when other people were making their autumn plans he would point to his garden with its pear trees and hollyhocks its plashing fountain and cooing doves and ask you plaintively why he should leave it september january or june he would stroll down st james street to his club at five o'clock every year as soon as august came a paragraph went the round of the gossipy papers chronicling the fact that mr julian clancy never left town people thought it so original and charming he had quite a little notoriety on that account alone but london to be sure was a passion with him the pavement of piccadilly was to him what the boulevard is to the parisian he was miserable five miles from bond street and i have known him to rave about the exquisite effects one saw in a london fog julian clancy made a cult of the metropolis his house in springtime buried in a white cloud of pear blossom in summer shady with spreading chestnut trees and limes was one of the prettiest things in town a low two-storied cottage with queer-shaped rooms built out at odd angles it was draped arranged and furnished with an artist's hand his music-room with its polished floor and oriental walls contained nothing but a grand piano a huge spreading palm and a low downy divan running round the sides but through a kyrene archway you stepped into a drawing-room crowded with knick-knacks hung with old brocade and as dainty as the boudoir of some eighteenth-century beauty in the dining-room the prim thin chippendale furniture was ranged against a pale-coloured wall while the round table with its fine damask and georgian silver and the soft lamplight illuminating a great bowl of flowers was somehow suggestive of brilliant talk and dainty fare but mr clancy was always modest about his possessions it's so sweet of you to like my things he would say deprecatingly to some fashionable lady who was going round his room sniffing up ideas i never care for anything i have it's so good of you to like my poor little cottage he came very often to our sunday evening parties when about twelve o'clock one saw his fatigued expressionless features and his superb shirt-front appear in the studio doorway he was one of the men by the by who looked their best at night the sharp black and white of man's evening dress giving him a distinction and elegance which he somewhat lacked at first i did not know why he came so often father to whom he regularly offered up some of his choicest phrases never liked him and took no particular pains to conceal the fact to mother all young men especially in the evening are alike she looks upon them as necessary evils at our parties but makes few distinctions between them christina was away that season so there remained only myself as the years had passed on i had had experience enough to know that a man who is heir presumptive to an english earldom is not likely to preoccupy himself with a middle-class damsel of modest dowry what brought him then so often to our house time as usual revealed the secret and in this wise july with its damp garden parties was upon us 
Mr. Julian Clancy's annual outdoor fête was one of the events of the late summer. He arranged the thing charmingly, and people intrigued for cards to what was sure to be an amusing party. This year it was rumored he was to have the whole of the frivolity chorus girls, attired as milkmaids, to dance skirt dances on his velvety lawn. So everybody wanted to go. For some time beforehand, Mr. Clancy was indefatigable in his calls at our house. He talked as much as he ever talked about anything of his own, for he was only enthusiastic about other people and their parties, which were always perfectly charming, or too lovely, of his forthcoming entertainment. "'I do so hope you'll come,' he said. "'I want you all to come. "'It would be so sweet and good of you all to come to my little party.' "'Oh, we don't go about in droves,' I said, laughing. "'Won't one or two of the family be enough?' "'Of course I only insist upon you,' said Julian, with a shade of his old diplomatic manner. "'But I should be so proud if your father would come.' A light flashed over me. This, then, was a possible explanation of Mr. Julian Clancy's devotion. He was hunting a celebrity. He wanted my father. How dense I had been, to be sure. Father was not only a famous and successful royal academician, but he was one of the most amusing people in town. The day of the garden party I was all diplomacy and white muslin. Early in the afternoon I captured my distinguished parent and insisted on his accompanying me to St. John's Wood. I was not going to appear without him as a second-rate substitute for a celebrity. The sleepy suburban road was alive with carriages and cabs as we drove up, and at every turn you nodded to some well-known face. The clean-shaven profile and heliotrope necktie of Duncan Clive the actor were seen in a Victoria side by side with Lady Susan's extraordinary hat. Her ladyship had long ago given up chaperones as superfluous. Val Redmond, Tommy Singleton, and the pale-faced boy foamed out of a hansom, all blue buttonholes and light gloves. The Duchess of Birmingham was driving up in the ducal chariot and had brought Miss Van Hoyt. There was no end to the people one knew. Inside the house it was dark and hot, and in the oriental music room you could hardly stand, for a famous prima donna was lamenting in a piercing soprano voice and an indifferent Italian accent the absence of her beloved, while a small red-haired cavalry major told a funny story in a high, penetrating voice until several people said, Hush! and turned round and frowned. In the dining-room one saw a vista of backs pushing and struggling over a buffet, and there was an acrid odour of coffee and strawberries as you passed the open door to reach the garden. Outside the scene was pretty enough. In the green garden the pink and mauve and white dresses of the women made clear patches on the verdure, and smiling fatigued faces greeted each other from under fantastic hats. A Viennese band played beneath a huge cedar, the frivolity girls with their crinkled white frocks and painted cheeks, looking pinker than ever under their starched sunbonnets, stood huddled together in the distance, and nudged each other as they recognized several smart young men, who with imperturbable faces were handing water-ices to the season's debutantes. Presently the band struck up a air, and the girls, forming into a line against a background of ivy, flipped their loose skirts and executed a series of swaying movements with fixed mechanical smiles. The youngest, a thing of seven with thin pointed knees, had the most surprisingly wooden smile of all. She was like a miniature but exaggerated copy of the showy girls who towered above her. 
there was a great deal of applause when they had done and only the smart young men appeared to be but vaguely interested in the performance our host as usual was charming but one felt that something distracting was in the air one saw it in mr julian clancy's preoccupied face as he gushed a little over us both making a civil effort when we entered something important was gone inside the house from the glances which our host kept turning towards the open drawing-room windows what could it be we were not long left in doubt oh have you heard cried val redmond detaining us with a delighted giggle nankowski the russian who says he has been to the north pole is in there in the drawing-room he is such a delightful person they say he is a leper but i don't believe that though i dare say you can catch it from the eskimo if i were you i should only look at him through the window in case it is true you know he certainly is a very odd colour this then was the reason of mr clancy's tepid enthusiasm over father's appearance nankowski the famous nankowski was a very great celebrity the newest of the season and he was now holding an informal levee in the drawing-room where people were being introduced to him in shoals mr julian clancy it was obvious had forgotten his ardour for my father in the triumph of securing a lion with a more penetrating roar dear i said twenty minutes later when we had wandered round the garden shaking hands right and left i'm afraid this sort of thing bores you let's go home and have tea together in the studio just you and i we looked for our host but he was not visible as we crossed the hall however we saw his back for an instant through the open drawing-room door he was quite absorbed and did not hear us going out mr julian clancy was bending over the new celebrity and we could hear him saying in his slow well-bred tones it was so good and lovely of you to come End of chapter eight